Gracias a la vida. Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Soyla Perez. And I'm Beroayeti Flores. We are two Latinx friends with widely different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love. And this week we're doing an episode called F Fascism, y'all. It's time. The time has come. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty um, a steady pitch for yeah. a number of years now, but yeah. it's feeling like pretty gnarly right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's really, really terrible on like, a couple of very particular levels. Yes. Um, and we'll chat about those. But I wanted to start with a song that um, was about resisting fascism many, many years ago, decades ago. Um, this is called Gracias a la Vida and it's by Mercedes Sosa. Y canarios, martillos, turbinas, ladridos, chubascos y la voz tan tierna de mi bien amado. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto me ha dado el sonido y el abecedario con él las palabras que pienso y declaro madre amigo hermano y luz alumbrando la ruta del alma del que estoy amando Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado la marcha de mis pies cansados. So yeah, I wanted to start with a classic of La Nueva Canción. Um, if you've been a listener for a minute, you will know that we did an episode on La Nueva Canción, mm-hmm. which was this Latin American folk music movement that emerged as um, the continent began to see a rise in extremely oppressive right-wing dictatorships. Um, And Mercedes Sosa was an Argentine singer and a large figure in that movement. Yeah, this is a good one. It has like a very bittersweet tone to it, but it's, I think it's meant to be hopeful. Yeah, it is. It's meant to be hopeful and it's meant to like, you know, be like a song about like our collective humanity, you know, like if you like just read the lyrics, there's not, it doesn't even seem overtly that political, I guess. But um, there was so much that was wrapped up in um, in political uh, ideas in this song. Um, this song was the most popularly interpreted by Violeta Parra, who was a central mm-hmm. figure in this movement, and is Chilean, where a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, Nueva Canción, um, you know, interpretes were from. Right. Um, a lot of folk musicians there were targeted by Pinochet's government after the fall of uh, Salvador Allende, um, or after his brutal ouster backed by the CIA. Um, mm-hmm. And um, like Victor Jara, for example, was another um, really prominent musician in this scene, was ultimately tortured and murdered by the Pinochet government um, shortly after the, the coup that, that led to his fall. And uh, so, uh, first of all, we will definitely include that episode in the show notes mm-hmm. if you want to check it out and learn a little bit more about La Nueva Canción. It's a really... Um, I think, important musical movement um, and political movement in Latin American history. Um, But I wanted to bring this also because we're just living in a super intense time and sometimes we can really uh, think about our moment in, I don't, and I think it's really not useful to be a historical and I think it's always useful to remember that um, we've been here before and we've resisted it before too, mm-hmm. right? Even in under really, really um, critical conditions mm-hmm. and there's always been resistance and, you know, we've been able to win. Yeah, no, it's true. I appreciate that, like, grounding. Um, I was looking back at this song because I remember we talked about this in our Nueva Canción episode and actually she composed... Violeta Parra wrote this song in 66 mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. part of the reason it has a bittersweet um, 
context to it is that she committed suicide three years later. No, two year, a year later. Sorry, 1967, she committed suicide. And so some people think this might have been sort of like her kind of suicide note as a song. Um, so obviously. Yeah, she had a really intense and tragic life. There's yeah. a documentary. There's like really wrenching um uh biopic about her not a documentary but it's like a biopic about her called violeta went to heaven um Mm. and i it's just it's super intense but it's really Mm -hmm. um it's really good if you want to um know more about her and her life yeah so yeah she's inspired inspired so much with with her music even you know her life was she was 49 when she when she took her life but um but I think your I think your hopeful message still stands that there is a lot of, um, you know, whether it's hopeful or upsetting, like there's a cyclical thing that happens. I want to put a link in the show notes to, I don't know if you saw this, Veto, the article by Ajaris in in these times last week, um, that was about I did see it, yeah, yeah, like the history of fascism, and it was really interesting for me to to have that grounding of like there's a there's a historical like kind of swing thing that happens where it's like fascism often rises in response to like social gains and like social sort of like progressive gains and we saw that in the 30s and so you know in some ways that's upsetting and in some ways that's like okay like this these swings are sort of part of the way that at least this particular iteration of sort of modern politics looks and um and so there's a lot to learn also from how people have resisted in the past um as well yeah a lot of like history to ground in um and yeah for some reason i wasn't thinking so overtly about fascism I think something about the way Ajaris laid it out, I was like, right, right, this is fascism. <laughs> like, I think I had just yeah. been, um, I think some, for f- at some points it had felt alarmist, right? And then I think now, um, for me at least, I'm like, okay, this is very clear. Like, the connection that she made around, like, fascism is these things, right? Fascism is, is like, focused on limiting rights, focused on this, focused on that. I was like, okay, it made me completed the picture for me politically a little bit about particularly what we're seeing at like the state level all over the country around like trans stuff and um book banning it's just like those things i'm like right this is what fascism is right and so yeah yeah it's really um, literally by the book it's something that i think about a lot because i do a lot of like policing and criminalization work and like the way that like police and the power of the state uh, through police power um, is also another like hallmark of fascism, and um, and I you know I do a lot of work that is that is in direct resistance to the police state, and I um, it feels sometimes really hard to communicate the importance of the uprisings in 2020 compared to our moment right now because people sometimes feel like it's for nothing, but. Um, this larger historical um, look that like, you know, like this bird's eye view that Ijeris describes in her article is just, again, it's like, it's part of how it goes, like progress and, um, and fascism sort of like are in a constant dance. And how we um, resist it is, um, you know, like, it doesn't have to be the way that it happens all the time, you know, like, it doesn't, we have options for resisting it and how far it goes is where we can take action. Like it's not, um, we don't have, it's not surprising that this kind of backlash would happen after that kind of an uprising. Um, but what, where we have options is like how we can stop it and where we can stop it. Yeah, I think that's right. It's not, it's not inevitable, right? Like, like it's, it's expected based on history and like the way that these, like the backlashes, but it doesn't mean that we're going to enter the world war two, you know, or like the Nazis are going right. to rise again. Right. Like we have, we have, um, we have power, we have choices, we have, um, yeah, options for resistance. So, you know, it's, it's important to, I think, take it seriously. I think that's what you know, I think I, I can fault myself for that too. Um, in taking, why did it take me till this moment for something about the way the legislative session has gone this year is just really like, and I think the very like tangible ways in which certain people's like rights are being taken away, trans kids, trans adults and other Mm -hmm. folks. Um, not that that hasn't been happening, but there's like a, a crescendo in this moment for that, those communities. Um, that's just made me kind of wake up a little bit like, all right, this is, this is actually what's happening. And, um, and yeah, I think it needs to be named more. And I think people on the left are afraid to name it in certain circles. 
Um, well, speaking about the ways that attacks on trans people speak to fascism, um, and especially this moment in fascism mm-hmm. in the United States, um, I wanted to bring uh, this beautiful cover by an artist called Ana Macho, who is a non-binary artist in Puerto Rico. And um, this is a cover of El Gran Barón. Let's take a listen. En la sala de un hospital A las nueve y cuarenta y tres Nació Simón Es el verano del cincuenta y seis El orgullo de don Andrés Por ser varón Fue criado como los demás Con mano dura, con severidad Nunca opinó Cuando crezcas vas a estudiar La misma vaina que tu papá Óyelo bien Tendrás que ser Un gran varón Al extranjero se fue Simón Lejos de casa se le olvidó aquel sermón Cambió la forma de caminar Usaba falda, lápiz, labial y un carterón Cuenta la gente que un día el papá Va a visitarlo sin avisar, vaya que error this is perfect for this moment unfortunately <laughs> yeah yeah so um la brega the podcast um about puerto rico did this this season about songs that defined um puerto rico and puerto rican identity and one of them was el gran barón and they had this really beautiful episode mm-hmm. um about el gran barón and sort of like its history and its meaning and how it has both like opened up space for trans and gender non-conforming people in Puerto Rico, but also like felt like really reductive in some other ways. Um, and uh, it was just a really great episode. Yeah, it was really powerful. Um, I really love that they picked Ana Macho to reinterpret this. And it seems like um, Ana Macho stuck with like the original lyrics and didn't, yes. didn't change the original lyrics. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she spoke about um, wanting to um, do justice to this person who was a real person. The songwriter um, wrote about it, um, uh, wrote about a friend or somebody that they knew. Mm -hmm. And um, and so Ana Macho didn't like rather than like wanting to like put words in the mouth of this person that, you know, that they don't know. Um, stuck to the to the original lyrics, even though like if you, if you listen to the episode, and we can also link that in the show notes, mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of discussion about like you know the use of pronouns and how um, they describe the the you know titular character in the song, um, and it's um, it, it, yeah, it's just like really fascinating and like a beautiful history of mm-hmm. like what has what is like shock you know like sort of shockingly if you know the subject matter to be about you know like a father's uh relationship to his trans daughter like mm-hmm. what has become like you know like a staple song in like mm-hmm. latino households around <laughs> uh the world mm-hmm. yeah and it's 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 particularly cool because they talked to the songwriter who yeah n- like knew of simon from like their hometown it was like it was sort of like someone that they knew of i don't know if they were friends but it was like someone that they knew and this story was was a story that that folks knew um and so yeah i like the but i like um her interpretation i like the sonically kind of the way that she interpreted i think it's interesting yeah and it also like completely shifts in you know like the power dynamic completely shifts when it's a mm-hmm. trans artist mm-hmm. singing it you know mm-hmm. it's a it's very different than like, you know, Willy Colón <laughs> doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 like it's different in multiple ways, right? Because in some ways there's something very powerful about a 
cishet man choosing to take this story on and tell it in a way that like while it's there's nuances I feel like in the end of the day it's like a the story is humanizing right it's supposed to be sad like sort of understanding you know it's not like a it's not a decidedly yeah it's not a demonizing song it's a song that's sort of about like the human condition right right? of this like one person and a story like a powerful story so yeah for sure so yeah it's powerful that Willie Colon chose to take it on and then there's something really incredible about yep giving the voice back to the person who like more closely identifies with Simon, you know, in that story who is like, yeah, not the protagonist, but like a central character that, yeah, tragedy happens to them. So Mm -hmm. I love everything Mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. It's really, really great. And, you know, we, as we discussed earlier, like the ways that like legislatures have been really attacking trans people, like, access to healthcare for kids, for people of all ages, um, the way that like, you know, there's some, there's like a kind of like pursuit of this quote unquote gender purity, which is, has no basis in like social history or biology or really anywhere other than like a white Christian fantasy. Mm. Um, but uh, but it it is like you can't separate these attacks on trans people from fascism in this moment. They're like interconnected and interdependent and um, they're like sort of like impossible to pull apart because they're just like the same beast. Yeah, I think that's what. Um, yeah, the way Jairus talks about it is like fascism is is about maintaining hierarchies right and so gender is a hierarchy race is a hierarchy class is a hierarchy and so it made me understand i think more intuitively like oh this is why this is a threat to people you know on top of just like hatred of queer and trans people like it's like preserving the gender hierarchy is important to the pro- to like the the mission of fascism um because hierarchies yeah. are about power and about domination um mm-hmm. And yeah, then I don't, I don't know, Vero, I know you're not in the musical theater, but it makes me think of, of Cabaret, um, the musical that's about like 1930s Germany, um, and Berlin especially. And like, Mm. you know, what we know. I've never heard of that, but I do know about the Weimar Berlin. Yeah. So it's it's, right before the Nazis mm -hmm. rose up, there was this very, very like a progressive period. Mm -hmm. Right. Very, very liberal around sexuality, queer, queer, trans. There was like a whole institute um, dedicated to sexuality that had a lot of like research and writing and it was all destroyed by the Nazis. Yeah. So yeah. Cabaret just kind of like tells that story. Um, Got it. It's like a moment of that story. So yeah, it's, it's chilling. And also, yeah, history is not, it's not been written yet. You know, the future has not been written yet. And so yeah, what choices yeah, do we have, you know, to, to go yeah, a different direction? We have a direction. lot of room to resist. We have a lot of room to resist. And it's something that I think about in my work a ton because I'm trying to communicate what our, you know, each of our best and highest use is and how we can all intervene. And so um, what feels important to remember is that one thing that is inevitable is this dance between like progress and backlash but the part that's not inevitable is how far the backlash goes and there's um so many places that all of us can intervene Mm -hmm. in um in that and it's not like we're not um resigned to a fascist eventuality just because these are the cycles of history but rather that we have a lot of room to resist yeah yeah, and I think a lot about, like, information and communication and in this time, right? Like, we know so much more about what's happening. Like, it's much harder to do things behind closed doors in the way that in the 30s, like, you know, there's debates about who knew what. But, like, there was not this sort of, like, world stage that we have now where um, it's much harder to hide. It's much harder to hide because we have access to different modes of communication. And so I think that's a big tool that we have to know what's happening and to be able to resist it in real time. Well, um, if fascism is about maintaining hierarchies in our current iteration of it, um, one of the institutions that's really quite dedicated to that is the police. So I wanted to bring the song by Rafa Pavón. It's called Sing Aire.
Soy culpable de mi pelo rizo y de mis labios gruesos. Si ser negro es un crimen, llévenme preso. Mientras no haya justicia, la ley nunca tendrá peso. Habrá violencia siempre que la opresión justifique eso. Le temo más a un policía que a un criminal. No llega el aire para respirar el señor oficial. La verdadera pandemia, el discrimen racial. Si tiene mil y vueltas porque el aire me quiere quitar. A nombre de Rick Garden, Michael Brown, Joel Floyd y Freddy Gray. Sin justicia no hay ley. Pa' que retumbe desde New York, Michigan, LA, solidaridad de parte del negro de Coupé. Cero tolerancia, ya no se tranza, el pueblo aguanta pero se cansa. Perdonen la tardanza, vengo con veneno en la lanza, te tengo más terror que confianza. No da tranquilidad mientras no exista la equidad, ahora la gente pone las leyes en la ciudad. Pa' la calle a luchar sin persuadir el motivo, la lucha tiene un norte que no se pierde el sentido. Si quieren candela, fuego pa' su oído. Yo no perdono ni tampoco olvido. Mancharon de sangre el uniforme azul marino. Justicia para George Floyd, derechado en asesino. So this is a song that came out in the aftermath of um, George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis. And um, Rafa Pabón is a black Puerto Rican artist um, who you know, put out the song in solidarity of that movement and um, and those uprisings. And I thought that it was important to bring some kind of song about um, about the police state. And, um, you know, it's a particularly important tool uh, to maintain hierarchies in the way that we're, um, you know, that fascism is functioning right now. Um, and there's so many, there's so many to choose from, um, obviously, yeah. because... Uh, um, the police have been fucking with people for so long. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I was thinking about maybe I should bring something like really early reggaeton, like, you know, like Panamanian, like Renato had, um, you know, some tracks talking about um, different law enforcement agencies. Like um, I think Daddy Yankee has some like early, like anti, um, some like, you know, songs denouncing police violence. But I decided to go with um, this one because uh, we've probably brought it also last times. So there's a couple of like Venezuelan artists that um, I've brought on a couple of times, like Apaikang, um, Cancerbero, who passed R.I.P., and um, Apache, and then also Gabilonia. Um, yeah, a lot, there's so many examples of, of uh, artists who have taken on this issue because it's been a persistent issue both in the United States and Latin America. Um, and, um, you know, police forces everywhere have um, been utilized by the state to um, enact a really um, intense hierarchy that is, um, you know, like a racial hierarchy, a gender hierarchy and um, all the ways that those work together. And definitely a class hierarchy, right? Protecting property yeah. above all, really. For sure, yeah. 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 Have you heard this framing um, among the left of like anti-rights, the anti-rights movement? Mm. I feel like it sounds familiar, but it's not something that I've engaged with a ton. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I've been seeing in my work a little bit. And um, it just reminds me of kind of the conversation we were earlier about like, um, using the term, using, calling it fascism versus calling it something else that maybe feels a little more mm. palatable, you know? Um, and, or that feels less alarmist to people, a less alarmist. Fascism right. feels too scary. I think for a yeah. lot of people to digest for sure, even right. if it's exactly what, right. you know, we're on the road to experiencing. Right. Yeah. But like what happens when we neuter our language in that way, you know, and, and say yeah. something like anti-rights, which is like, it was curious when I first heard it, cause I was like, what does this mean? And, you know, it's referring to sort of like all of these pushes to take away trans rights and, you know critical race theory, like all these kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, censorship mm -hmm. and bans and stuff like that. But it sounds so, I don't know. It reminds me a little bit of like the anti-choice moment, you know, I'm like, that's so tame, you know, it's such a tame way to talk about something that is actually very not tame, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I agree with that. It yeah. makes it seem like not quite as violent as yeah. it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, the language I saw was not coming from like the, it was coming from sort of like a more center, you know, left place, not like the, you know, um, the more like progressive folks who are gonna, yeah, use 
I think stronger language and stuff like that coming more from like establishment establishment stuff. So that's not surprising in that way. But, but yeah, I was just like, Oh man, are we going to do this again? You know, are we going to do this again? Um, and just, yeah, the importance like, yeah, we don't want to scare people, but you also don't want to pretend yeah, that what's happening isn't happening, you know, and people should be alarmed. Like we need to be taking action in this moment, you know, but I'm glad, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought back this moment. Um, the George, George Floyd, George Floyd uprising and like this song and sort of the context of, um, yeah, part of the backlash that we're seeing right yeah, now is because of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everything that we're experiencing right now that's a backlash is in response to the power of that moment. Um, and, um, I don't think it can be underestimated. Yeah. One thing I appreciate about you, Beto, is that like, you're very much like a realist, you know? Um, but you're also, when it comes to like politics, like you stay hopeful, like you stay mm. sort of believing that like something different is possible. And that I like, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate that balance that you bring to it. You know, like you're not, um, you're not Pollyanna-ish about it at all, but you do mm-hmm. really like believe something else is possible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't either. Honestly, <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> like, I like, I'm like, like, I don't uh, feel it. And I'm more maybe an optimist sometimes, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like to me, it's like a faith that's like akin to the way that people believe in God, you know, like right. maybe there's no evidence of this existing, but like people believe it with like every single fiber of their being. And that's mm. how I feel about like, the you know like that's my god i feel i believe that the world can be better i don't i've never seen it i don't think i'm gonna see it but i believe it's possible right well i think you've seen examples of like what can be done when people yeah step up i definitely have another thing i've been definitely have thinking about a little bit lately is um you know what they call in latin america they're calling it the marea verde this like green Mm -hmm. tide green wave right that's that's been connected to both like femicide like anti-femicide movements and then also um movements to restore access to abortion and and has been successful in these very conservative contexts right so it's like things that we don't imagine are possible have been been made possible by um by social movements so it's like we do have evidence of it we just don't have evidence of like it like the utopia that we're looking for finally coming true yeah yeah it's more incremental wins um it's like oh that's right shit is possible you know like you can have more abortion rights in mexico than the united states you know like whoever thought that would be true so yeah for sure there's a lot of that's possible with people power and i think that there's something to be said about having um you know, like a couple decades of activism under your belt that you get to, you have seen it, you know, like mm-hmm. you've seen the ways that sometimes our movements have fumbled um, and mm-hmm. um, not acted in ways that protected things that we hold really dear. And you've seen ways that like people really stood up in really important and powerful moments and completely shifted the, uh, you know, like what was possible mm-hmm. um, for us. So yeah. Um, that's also, I think, part of it, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I feel like your next pick kind of is in that vibe. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to bring a little bit of like a global um, aspect to this, even though I think we started with um, a, a song that did that. But this one's really explicit about that. This is called Somosur, and it's by Ana Tiju and Shadia Mansur. Tú nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder, ver, aprender cómo esponja absorbe. Nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos para todos, todo para nosotros. Soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio, lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio. Esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía del baile de los que sobran de la danza tuya mía. Levantarnos para decir ya vas. Caña América Latina se suba Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco
the rise of fascism is unfortunately a, a global phenomenon. We've been seeing it across um, across many countries and many regions. And I love that this song is about the global South resisting the colonial project together. Um, Anna Tijou is, um, you know, French Chilean. Her family uh, escaped um, Chile and was, um, I think, were political asylees in France. Um, and Shadia Mansour is Palestinian. Um, they're both, uh, you know, political or political leaning um, artists and rappers and. Um, I love I love them coming together for this. This is from um, Anna's now, at least to me, classic mm -hmm. 2014 album Bango. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh my god, it's been 10 years. I know. That's wild. Um, but uh, this was a during a really um, pivotal uh, move, like mo movement moment in Chile, where um, you know a lot of student uprisings um, began and uh, led to like some really, really incredible um, political victories that we're still seeing um, in Chile now, ten years later. So um, yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of power in thinking about. Um, the global south resisting together um, against some of these um, global fascist forces that like you know do have a lot of roots in upholding the colonial project I got to see um, Anna perform this song probably was somewhere around then or you know 2015 2016 um, in like a pretty small venue in DC and it was really really powerful it was like a beautiful moment to get to witness that yeah, Anna Tijou actually is the first artist I ever interviewed, the first like musician I ever mm. interviewed. Um, I think back in like 2013, this was in like the blog era mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when I was still writing for Feministing. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I, because Feministing was like, a little website where they let us write whatever the fuck we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, we, I was like, I want to start writing about music randomly just because I like music. You know, I didn't have any mm -hmm. sort of like um, idea of, about music journalism or anything, but I was just like, there's a lot of songs that have a lot of political meaning and I want to talk about them. So I did. And I think I talked about an Ana Tiju song and her, um, manager at the time went to the college where I was working. I was working at Hampshire College at the mm. time. And uh, and she like found my email and mm. was like, I saw that you wrote this. I see that you're working at Hampshire. I love Hampshire. I went there. I would love it if you interviewed Anna. And I was like, I would love it if I interviewed on. I felt like such a badass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like nobody could tell me nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I was so it was so it was such a sweet interview. She was like, you know, like talking to me and like trying to distract her kid. And like it was just very sweet. That's awesome. Um, it's funny that we both feministing is like part of both of our like journalistic sort of writing origin stories. Because you, you, did I have anything to do with you coming to Feministing? I can't remember. I don't think you were there anymore when I was on. I yeah, mean, I think that a... you... Uh, had I already stepped off? Maybe facilitated a couple connections for me before I was writing permanent, before I was right. writing, like, consistently, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so in that sense, probably yes. Yeah. But I didn't start writing consistently until after, after I had left. Time, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, God, such a moment in time, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, the the yeah, the freedom that we had in that, at that, we mm -hmm. had like a very large platform for a time, and the ability to write about anything was pretty incredible. You're right. Mm -hmm. Um, so R.I.P. Feministing. I definitely got in trouble writing about music, um, on Feministing because the platform was so large, and now there's like, 
a generation of Australians for whom it's like on site with me oh, um, you, to this day. Was it? was it Lord or something? You like? <laughs> yes. I remember. Yes, yeah. I think I Googled you. I Googled you not that long ago. And that was some of the media hits that came up were the, were things That's like so the, like the wild. daily mail or something talking about. I'm that. like a, trying to forget that time. I'm like, please y'all. I like wrote this blog post at like 2am and I don't think that I was wrong, but like, right. I was like, I'm definitely not going to go on CNN. about this (laughs) you know like i write about like immigrant rights and gender and abortion and you're gonna ask me about this song like absolutely not yeah uh i never got like that kind of media attention for anything but i did get like embroiled in some like early blog days like drama um (laughs) early blog days oh man (laughs) both like one time targeted at me that was like totally misplaced and this person even like misattributed like in her blog post about me like misattributed somebody else's writing to me (laughs) at one point yeah it was like a mess and then also like i mean feministing got a lot of attention in the feminist blog world for good and bad reasons you know um and so i also like sometimes helped other people through like blogosphere sort of like call out early call out culture stuff. It was, it was, it was a learning. It was, there was a lot of learning in that time. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that Ana Tiju and feministing began your, your career in writing music. It's beautiful. My music journalism career. I feel like this episode is a little bit of a taste of like when we first got together talking about a podcast, we're like, should it be about politics? And I'm like, this feels like leaning in that direction, you know, but like, this isn't where we want. It's like, we can go there, but it's not where we wanted to stay. You know, we wanted to have something that was much more, um, yeah, we had more room to do different things and not just stay in this lane, but this is very much like a part of our, both of our like professional lives and, and -hmm. just lives in general. So it's interesting to like tap into that a little bit more today. Yeah, for sure. Well, you picked all the songs this episode if people haven't figured that out yet. So what else did you have for us? Yeah, I prepped this episode. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is also the ways that migration and the sort of like brutal regulation of it has been sort of like a hallmark of this moment in fascism also. Mm. Um, And I wanted to bring like an old classic from La Santa Cecilia. This is called Ice Ice, El Hielo. Ice, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Ice, El Hielo. Pasando el trapo sobre la mesa y está cuidando que todo brille como una perla. Cuando llegue la patrona que no se vuelva a quejar, no sea cosa que la acuse de ilegal. José atiende los jardines, parecen de Disneyland Maneja una troca vieja sin la licencia No importa si fue taxista allá en su tierra natal Eso no cuenta para el tío Sam suelto por esas calles nunca se sabe cuando nos va tocar the beautiful song yeah yeah i think this is probably the song that like sort of launched their career definitely um in that time 10 years sure. ago mm-hmm. um if not the song one of the very early songs that i feel like i remember seeing like a lot of coverage because i knew of them I think in like 20, much earlier, like 2012, I think I saw them live, like, and I just like walked by them performing and I was like, what the fuck, you know, because <laughs> like La Marisol's voice is like um, that, like, so good. you know, you'll walk by and she's singing and you'll be like floored. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew of them um, because of just really a coincidence because um, I heard them and um then this came a little bit after that and it was one of the first songs that i saw them really um getting a lot of coverage and 
it was during a time about 10 years ago when um, there was a lot of really beautiful resistance to um, ICE, to immigration um, enforcement. Um, immigration enforcement was like, you know, super, you know, remains super brutal, super brutal then, remains super brutal now. Um, and I think that like one of the ways that we are, um, I don't know, treating migrants in this moment is so intense, especially um, asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's so many people from Venezuela, from Haiti, um, from different countries who are literally walking here, right? Mm -hmm. They're like risking their lives to walk through like a sort of like completely undeveloped jungle area in uh, Panama called the, the Darien Gap and like walking from South America um, to the border trying to get in and ask for political asylum which you know like is legal to do but it's like they don't care they just don't want they don't want them here um, and um, it's just been so devastating to witness and there's so much despair and so much pain and um, and I, I just, you know, I really, um, it's been touching me a lot lately because many of these migrants are Venezuelans and it's the first time since I've been in the United States that there's been like a really significant um, migration of Venezuelans to um, to the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just like a really completely tragic moment. Um, so I feel like really personally touched by it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. but it's not a particularly new phenomenon to see the ways that like, you know, we've been really uh, the state's been really brutal to um, to immigrants in different ways. And um, it's definitely like one of the hallmarks of sort of like enforcing this hierarchy between like, um, you know, like and this idea of the nation state and who belongs in it and who doesn't. Right. Yeah, I mean, Cubans are also now in that in that same limbo because mm -hmm. of the, the yeah. changing of the policy. So yeah, the sort of trying to get asylum. Um, the other context for this song was also DACA, right? Like this was when yeah. DACA was 10 years. It was in 20, 2012. Yeah, 2012. Um, and there was also like a, a failed policy for the parents of, of childhood arrivals too that was killed by the courts. But, um, but yeah, this real like post healthcare before Obama loses most of his power as a lame duck president attempt to get immigration reform passed alongside then. Yeah. Also like he, I mean, his administration also did a lot of deportation and a lot of um, fucked up things on the border. So it was like this real like push pull um, politically. Yeah. But DACA, yeah, I mean, DACA really changed really... a lot of people's lives. And I'm pretty incredible. Yeah, and it was a really powerful time. You know, I um, was involved in some, the first time that I ever got arrested. arrested I remember. For, um, as a part of like a, 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 a direct action was, um, you know, after DACA. And I was, um, was around, um, you know, with young immigration activists who were, you know, I was... I, I just like have held so much admiration for the work that they were doing because they were undocumented and you know, like their, their slogan was undocumented and unafraid mm -hmm. and you know, like they put themselves on the line um, with like, you know, like arrests and like um, deportation. And um, I like, I had been very careful before I got a green card to never, Mm -hmm. um do that kind of political work because i was scared yeah um and because honestly like the political movements that i was a part of were not prepared to uh deal with that right and support you. they made this very yeah to support that kind of a risk whereas they made this very strategic decision like we're going to take these risks and we're going to like develop a whole infrastructure of support mm -hmm. to make sure that we're um, able, best able to utilize this political power and be as safe as we possibly can, um, which is not to suggest, to, to suggest that it wasn't incredibly brave. It was really, really was. But mm -hmm. um, I just had a lot of admiration for that because I felt way too afraid to do anything like that before I um, had like, uh, before I became like a U.S. citizen, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful time. For sure. 
Well, I feel like your next song also kind of leads us into that more like forward thinking vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I love also, you know, to me, like activism is about like inviting each other to a different future. And Mm -hmm. this song is like absolutely that vibe for me. This is called Otra Era by Javier Amena. about like you know it describes like come with me to a different era and to me that like that's like the core of what activism is this is like okay like let's come up with something different and go there together yeah and there's something also about like the sonic quality of this song that i'm just like it actually also like it to me it like sonically mirrors the lyrics i'm like Mm. i can it sounds like going to a different feels era. Feels futuristic. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like maybe like the journey, maybe like like the something about like the lightness of the synths that are so like they're just like sort of like soaring and like yes, you know, like I'm like yes, this is what it would feel like if I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is what it would sound like when we arrive. Right. Right. I like that. Yeah, and Javier Amena is uh, um, an openly lesbian uh, Chilena, which mm-hmm. like now is like feels like less of a big deal than mm. it was when she first came out. Um, yeah. And you know, like when she first came out in like the, like esquemas juveniles days, like you know, years and years ago, um, she um, was openly out, and I think that there there is something to like this history of like Chilean resistance in music. I almost brought Alexandre Wander, mm-hmm. who I think is also like part of that legacy mm-hmm. of like this other queer artist who talks about, um, you know, politics in this really particular way. And Javier right. Mena, I wouldn't say like, I don't know if she would describe this song as political. I think this might be even a love song, you know, but um, so she's not like as openly political um, in terms of like you know the kind of anti-capitalist songs that like Alex Antoinette might be singing, um, but um, but she is I think to me still part of that like longer legacy of Chilean artists who are like unafraid to resist in what in um, one way or another. And she like very early on was like an out Latin American artist where that was like you know not an easy thing to do. Not that it's easy now necessarily, but like we're in a much different time than um, when she first started doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, and it's also possible that it's going to be more of a risk again in the future, right? Like, again, like this sense of like, you know, we're not only necessarily going in one direction. Like, I hope that doesn't change, yeah. but we're also in a context where like, you know, Target took all the, a bunch of their pride merchandise out of the stores because people threatened violence. Like it's not um, inevitable that we will continue to see progress pr- progression and nor is it, is it safe everywhere to be queer, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. 
it's and I think that that's a really important thing to remember is that it's not inevitable that we're just going to keep progressing if we don't protect it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's also not inevitable that it's going to get worse. Right. right. Like we right. have we have um, we have to protect it. We have to like be vigilant and um, we can intervene to make sure that things don't get as bad as they could without, um, you know, like our resistance. Right. And we have to create a vision that is exciting, right? Like a vision that is like yes. draws people compelling. in. Compelling, right? Like I feel like Adrienne Brown talks a lot about this too. It's like we want, yeah, we want liberation to be as, to be the most pleasurable and exciting thing we could imagine, you know, to like draw people toward yeah. it rather than like a yeah. defensive posture of like trying to preserve what we have or something like that. So Right. Or say like right. we don't want this. Like, right. Don't That's why the, what we do want. Anti-framing. Yeah. It's just like, no, what do we, what do we want? Yeah. What are we building toward? Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for this episode, Veto. What a journey. I love the arc of it. And like, yeah, just, I appreciate the way that you approach this stuff. Um, yeah, you're t- you're more tender Thank than you. you want to admit. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I know. I am. I that's know. why. That's why it's, we're friends. <laughs> I feel like it comes out in my activism. It, it comes out in my activism it a lot. Does. Where I'm like, it well, does. I just believe that it's possible for it this to be out, better. I know it comes out in your politics. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. it's a sweet reminder yeah. of that. It's a sweet reminder of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being here for that. Of course, y'all. As and, you always are. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I hope this inspires your fight everyone who's listening because yeah we have a lot to do and there's a lot there's a lot at stake and we have a lot of power so let's yeah, do this we you know really really do yeah let's do this let's let's be let's really be done with this bullshit because it's really cruel and brutal mm-hmm. and we can do so much better mm-hmm. absolutely Well, as always, everything that you heard on this episode is going to be on our show notes, including the article that we spoke about that our friend Ejera Sixon wrote, including our episode about La Nueva Canción and a few other things that we talked about. You'll find it all there. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're following us on social media, Instagram and Twitter. We also have a, a weekly newsletter and you can sign up for that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Maite, for all the editing help. And thank you so much for listening, y'all. Hasta la próxima. Bye. Los dos materiales que forman mi canto Y el canto de ustedes que es el mismo canto Y el canto de todos que es mi propio canto Gracias a la vida